Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Thousands came into the church, thousands that were coming, and along with those thousands of Jews out of Jerusalem that were coming to faith in Christ, there were also many priests that were coming. As a matter of fact, back in chapter 6, you don't need to turn there, but Luke reminds us that the Word of God was spreading and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, some of the only people that experienced the Lord's rebuke were the religious leaders and Pharisees. Reason being, they were entrusted to teach God's people the Word of God, but instead they taught man-made traditions and caused people to drift away from God. Today, Pastor David will be explaining how important it is for you to study the Word of God yourself, so you're not solely dependent on other people to interpret the Scriptures for you. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 15 as he begins his message, Growing Pains. of you that know, you understand that teenagers can be some troubling years. How many of you have had teenagers in your home? How many of you have been teenagers? Yeah, yeah we all have, right? Yeah. Teenage years, they, they can be some of the most traumatic years in, in all of our life. Yeah, if I had the chance of going back, don't bring me back to those years. Take me back to about 35 or so, but not back to those years. In teenage years, uh, the, the moods can change so quickly. Teenage years, they're so strongly impacted by the influence of their peers. Uh, for teenage years, the, the bodies are changing and they have to get used to all of those changes. There's an awkwardness in life that, that many times there's absolutely no reason for it other than it's simply that's just the age that they are. Well, we are in Acts chapter 15, and according to the scholars, the church at this point in time is about 15 or 16 years of age. They're kind of a teenage years. Yeah, they're really old now. We've been over here over 2,000. But in those early years, I was thinking through this uh, the, over the last couple of weeks, looking and anticipating this uh, portion of the passage of the book of Acts, and I realized that at this point in time, for the church itself, the moods were changing very quickly. There was a lot of things that were going on in the church's life. Uh, the church itself was being impacted, yeah, by her peers. A lot of different voices were coming into the church at this point in time. The body, the, the body of the church itself was changing very dramatically, and the church had to get used to that. And there was an awkwardness in the church 
again, at times that for no rhyme or reason other than, man, that's just some of the stuff that we're going through. It's just the age. Again, we look and the church, uh, if you remember, uh, when the church first began in those early chapters of the book of Acts, literally thousands came into the church, thousands that were coming, and along with those thousands of Jews out of Jerusalem that were coming to faith in Christ, there were also many priests that were coming. As a matter of fact, back in chapter 6, you don't need to turn there, but Luke reminds us that the word of God was spreading and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Priests of Judaism are now becoming Christians. Thousands of Jews, great number of priests, and you need to understand that as they became the church, they brought with them the mindset and all of their training from Judaism. That's now who the church is, and the church looked very much like the Jewish synagogue. Many cases, they they were even still a part of the local synagogues, and this became actually a, a major issue when Gentiles started coming to saving faith in Christ, because they had never been Jewish. They, 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 they knew nothing about the Mosaic law. They knew nothing about how you're supposed to act when you come into church. They knew none of these things. The church body was changing. The church was having a difficult time adjusting to it. We've looked uh, again several times in the chapters prior to chapter 15 uh, that again, uh, somehow the, the issue of this conflict of the Gentiles and the Jews, hopefully that somehow they would come to a head, come to some understanding. And that's what chapter 15 is all about. As a matter of fact, look there, if you would, Acts chapter 15, back up a couple of verses into chapter 14. And we read where Paul and Barnabas and that missionary group that was with them, they finalized that first missionary journey. They were now arriving back to Antioch of Syria, Antioch of Syria, which was their sending church. Luke writes for us in Acts 14, beginning in verse 27, now when they, the missionary group, had come and gathered the church together, that's the church there in Antioch of Syria, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Guys, this is a major thing. This is a major change that's going on at this point. So they, the missionary group, they stayed there in Antioch a long time with the disciples. We don't know how long they stayed, but they stayed there encouraging and sharing with the believers there in Antioch. Well, then suddenly we're going to find as we get into 15, trouble starts coming into town. Acts chapter 15 was where we're at this morning, beginning in verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. They taught them, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Well, we actually find a little bit later in this passage down in verse 24 that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem didn't send these guys. These guys went on their own. They went down there on their own because they they felt that they had a a great understanding to be able to give to these Gentile believers there in Antioch. What they actually brought was a great amount of stress to the church there. These Jewish believers uh, that came down from Jerusalem, they had probably been believers for some time. 
and yet they were still really strongly connected with their Judaic roots. They, they still uh, were very much uh, controlled by and under that understanding of Judaism. They're, they're teaching at this point in time for those there in Antioch, making a very negative impact on the church, particularly on these believers, these brand new believers that had come, and fr- come fresh out of a, a, a pagan culture. They knew nothing about Judaism. They were, again, they, they came, they knew, they understood that they had come by faith to trust in Christ. They had come with a solid commitment of their life to his leading, and they knew that they were saved again by the grace of God. And now these guys come and say, oh, yes, but, but also you need to be in compliance with the Old Testament law. For these pagans, what a crazy thing is. This, this group of, of Jews that had come down, they are what we know as Judaizers. Jews who seem to accept the teachings of Jesus Christ, and yet they're still holding on to the legalism of the Mosaic law. And when Paul and Barnabas heard what was going on, they began debating with these Judaizers. And it seemed apparent to the leadership there of the church in, in Antioch that these men who were teaching this necessity of the law, they weren't going to listen to the message of grace. Uh, They weren't going to listen to the wisdom of Paul or the direction of the Holy Spirit. So the leadership there at the church of Antioch said, hey, look, we need to take this whole issue. We need to go back up to Jerusalem, to the apostles there in Jerusalem and the elders there of the church in Jerusalem and let them settle this matter. This is what's been called the the first Jerusalem council. And again, the first time really of of addressing some major doctrinal issues within the church. So look at verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. Now in Phoenicia and Samaria, this was made up of primarily Gentiles and half Gentile, half Jews, this whole area. And many of them had come to a saving knowledge of Christ. They, again, many of them had been flat out pagans, others that had uh, kind of a, a, a knowledge of Judaism because they were half Gentile, half Jew, but they also had already learned that the works and the rituals of Judaism would not and could not ever add to their salvation. And that's why the news of these other Gentiles being saved through faith in Christ was such great news for them. Look at verse four. And then they, Paul and the company from Antioch, had come to Jerusalem They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. So as Paul comes in and the group comes into Jerusalem, they make contact with the apostles and the elders. They share the story of the events of their missionary journey. And again, great rejoicing in the church that more people are coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. But right in the midst of what God was doing in the excitement and the anticipation of the growing work uh, of God within the church, the enemy, Satan himself, began stirring up strife again. Look at verse five. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, now you need to understand, these were Pharisees who had come to accept the teachings of Christ. Some of the Pharisees, the sect of the Pharisees who believed, rose up and they said, it is necessary to circumcise these Gentile believers and to command them to keep the law of Moses. 
That whole issue of circumcision, guys, that was bad enough. But on top of that, they wanted these Gentiles to come under the same yoke of the burden that they themselves still remained in. They were free in Christ, and yet they kept themselves under the burden of the law of Judaism. And again, they wanted them, they commanded actually, that they would keep the whole law of Moses. Later on, Paul had some very, very strong words writing to the Gentile church up in Galatia that was made up of, yes, Gentiles and some Jews. But again, this whole issue of trying to hold on to the Mosaic law and still walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. He writes to the church of Galatia in Galatians 5. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, I say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Guys, that's a powerful, powerful message. And what he's saying, if you're trying to please God by working these rituals or these ceremonies, this work of the law, then beloved, you're you're totally missing the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not come in order that we would keep the law. Jesus Christ came, he kept the law for us because we could not keep the law in order that we might through faith receive his completed work. Again, it needed to be settled. It needed to be settled once for all. Once for all. Do we need to keep the law or are we free from the law? Look at Acts 15, verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when they had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, I wonder how much dispute there was, how long? I mean, are we talking a couple of hours? Are we talking a couple of days? Are we talking weeks, months? We really don't know. It says, after there had been much dispute, finally Peter rises up and says to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they." Peter reminded them of the work of God that had taken place in Samaria. He reminded them of the work of God that had taken place there at Cornelius' house. Remember Cornelius, the Roman centurion? Again, a guy, yes, he loved God, but he was not a Jew. And God worked and moved in this Gentile's house in a powerful way. Not because they were keeping the law, but again, by faith in the completed work of Christ. Every Jewish believer that was present that day when Peter was talking, including these Judaizers, every one of them knew that the keeping of the whole law was an absolute exercise in futility. They would never be able to do that. 
to be able to walk perfectly every day, continually, all day. They knew they couldn't do that. And that's why Peter says, why are you putting a burden on them that we ourselves couldn't even keep ourselves? They would have been under a continual guilt trip and probably in the, sense, in the midst of that guilt trip, literally pulling away from fellowship with God because of their guilt, because of their shame, because they felt that they just could not measure up. Let me give you an announcement this morning. We get ready to write this down. It might be the most important thing you hear this morning. You cannot, you will not, you will never measure up. You can't. We cannot. Because where's the measurement? The holiness and the righteousness and the perfection of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's why this whole thing of why would you then put yourself under the law that you could never keep anyway? Peter asked a pretty straightforward, he asked that candid question again, why do we test God? Why do we uh, put this, try to put this yoke on their neck that neither our fathers nor, nor even us, we could bear? In essence, Peter was telling them, you and I were raised under these laws and we can't keep them. Why are you gonna try and burden down these actually who, have, who were never raised under the law? You're testing the grace of God. You're testing his work of grace with the Gentiles who have come by faith to receive him. Peter reminds him, man, that's the only way that we came. We didn't get here, even as, even as Jews, we didn't get here in our salvation because we were so good in keeping the law. We came here by faith, and that's the same way that these Gentiles are coming. As Peter finished, the multitude was pretty much understandably silent. Verse 12 says, the multitude kept silent. And they listened then to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Again, Barnabas and Paul sharing about this first missionary journey, how God had ministered and touched the hearts of so many Gentiles during that time. And once again, the crowd fell silent. Personally, I think that there was a whole lot of pondering and, and praying that was going on at this point in time, trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what direction should we really go? The church was pretty much at, 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 at a very serious point in the future of the church. Do we keep trying to press the law or do we understand that, no, it is fully by the grace of God that we're saved. When a young teenager begins to grow, sometimes their, their bodies grow faster than, than their coordination. Yeah, you, some of you have seen that. Uh, 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 a, a young person who at one point in time was very agile and perhaps very skilled in sports, suddenly their body starts growing and, and they can't do a thing with it. It's just everywhere and they're tripping over their own feet. I speak of experience of our own son that, man, there was a time in his life it seemed like he grew nearly a foot in one year and he just seemed to be the most uncoordinated thing that God ever created on his earth. And yet he grew out of that. Well, right now, the church was growing in such a powerful, such a strong, and such a great way that suddenly this awkwardness has come in, this, 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 this thing of not being able to do anything right. This change was taking place, and there was a lot, a lot of those that were in the church that didn't want the change to take place, and they did not want to accept that change. But when Paul and Barnabas finished, once again, the crowd was silent, and now James, the half-brother of Jesus, comes with a final judgment on the matter. Verse 13. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. 
And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all of these things. And then James continues on. Look at verse 18. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. We find out that this statement, it, it pleased the whole church at this point in time. It's interesting, out of these four suggestions or directions, he includes, again, this admonition for these Gentiles actually to be in obedience to some of the, uh, at, at least the, the directives of and the heart of the Old Testament commands. The first two, according to the Old Testament law found in Leviticus, these things are logical, they're very reasonable. He says, don't be partakers of anything dealing with idolatry. And secondly, you need to abstain from any and all sexual sin. These aren't issues that were particular to the Gentiles. These are things that, again, even, even to the Jews and even to today, we still have these same issues even within the church today. These kinds of issues, idolatry and sexual immorality, they will impact your life. They will make you ineffective in your Christian walk. And again, there will be this continual falling away from obedience to Christ when we allow these things into our lives. You need to understand the Gentile world was pagan by and large. Uh, some of them uh, had, yeah, they had left their pagan gods and they sought after the God of Israel even before coming to salvation. But yet still at the same time, Idol worship was still a major portion of the culture in which they lived. It was everywhere. In a very simple sense, just a, an idea of what idolatry is. Idolatry is anything that can or does come between our full commitment to Jesus Christ. You need to understand that even today, idolatry can take many forms. Men or, or man-made images or representations that, that are worshipped as deities. Yes, throughout the world today, men are doing that very same thing. It was definitely a part of the Roman culture. You couldn't go into a major Roman city without seeing all of these statues. The Caesar, the ruler himself, was again worshipped as a deity. Any natural or, or even manufactured objects that become a major focus in our lives, commanding and taking our attention, taking our devotion away from our devotion to the Lord. Nature itself, uh, creation itself, anything receiving worship other than the one true God. The Apostle Paul warned about this in Romans chapter one, how easily man turns to idolatry, worshiping the creation more than the creator. And Paul says, because they've done that, God has also given them up to uncleanness and in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Those who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore, amen. Paul knew that the beginning of this idol worship ends up actually in this whole idea even of sexual immorality. And it does not have to be some little 
statue of some pagan god. No, doesn't have to be a superstitious ritual that, that we're performing. Guys, sometimes our jobs, our very pursuit of, of wealth or even comfort becomes an idol. We're so glad you could be with us today as we opened God's Word and dove into the goodness and truth the Bible contains. If you've missed any part of today's message in Acts, we encourage you to refer to our website, calvarycg.org. Once there, you can browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of the Open Word. We'd love to hear from you about how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If you prefer accessing information through social media, visit our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word. Just go to theopenword.com. You'll be directed right to our page. You'll be able to explore more of Pastor David's audio there as well. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into the Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again. Or simply let your Bible fall open. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word. Make a small-